The Sisters Grimm podcast is intended for mature audiences only. Please listen at your own discretion. Blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. The most notorious serial killer in the nation, the Light Stalker. The Boston Strangler. The Son of Sam. The infamous Zodiac Killer. What's your favorite scary movie? Welcome everyone to the Sisters Grim Podcast. I am your co-host Holly Freeberg. <laughs> And I am your actual host, Morgan Freeberg. No, you're also a co-host. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're funny. Uh-huh. So we just watched the, okay, let me get this right, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile trailer. Teaser trailer for wow. the new Ted Bundy movie because it's the 30th anniversary, depending wah, wah, on wah, when you're listening. Yeah, wah, 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 wah. Um, The new Netflix documentary is absolutely great. It has footage none of us have seen or heard of, and I've gotten the chills multiple times and i what you told me that i didn't know is that the same director is making both movies yeah he's kind of doing a zabrowski no not Zab- is that what that guy's last name was yeah yeah he, like he made what lie no it's not what lies within or like that one he made that one movie oh and yeah then, the good uh i forget what it's called yeah but they're good both place, about um yeah but with Berlinger, it wasn't like Ted Bundy was like, hey, do you want to make a movie about me? Yeah, that's Because that would have been jinx. really creepy because Ted Bundy is dead. <laughs> Very. Also, the it was in celebration of, or like it's the 30th anniversary of when he was executed. Yeah. Obviously. Because what else would you celebrate? Yeah, uh, and not his birthday. Also, <laughs> let's say not a celebration. <laughs> right. Also, but also kind of a celebration for those of us who love this shit. I guess. But also, it's not good to celebrate his birthday because last year it was Thanksgiving. Mm. And we didn't say anything. I didn't say one thing about Ted Bundy on Thanksgiving. Good for, you. Good for me. So we had previously recorded this episode and it was deleted, which happens. Um... And so we're going to do this thing again. Yeah, so this is uh, Indiana Killers, part two. Y'all didn't get to hear the first one. It <laughs> Y'all was didn't great. hear part one. It was just for us. <laughs> that was just that was just for us. It's yeah. just out in the ether Tuesday's somewhere. here for part two. Yeah, Tuesday wasn't here for Tuesday part one. Tuesday two. Okay. So, so do you want to go foist? Yes. So this is Indiana Killers. Yes, we are talking about murderers, murderers. that happened in the grand old state of Indiana. Um, but also, like, in other places in the Midwest. But, like... But, like... Also, but, like, Indiana. But, yeah. Like, in... Yeah. Indiana, where the corn grows tall and the people... I don't know. Were you trying to come up with, like, a version of Oklahoma, but Indiana? Not really, but sort of. Oh, there's more than corn in Indiana. There's Indiana Beach. And also killers. (laughs) And dunes. And dunes. Lots of sand dunes. Well, yeah, that's what the beaches are. I know. All right, so I will start with my first killers. They were spree killers. Um, And they were born in Wolfer's Duff. There's two of them. One of them was Alton Coleman, and the second was Deborah Brown. Alton was born in Waukegan, Illinois, and he lived with his 74-year-old grandmother, 
She was actually 73. Um, and he dropped yeah. out of school when he was in junior high. Um, as a teenager and, like, in his young adult life, he was charged with sex crimes six different times, spanning from ten years. Two of the cases were dropped. He pled guilty to two of the other um, cases that were lesser charges, and then he was acquitted for the other two. He was scheduled to go on trial in Illinois for the rape of a 14-year-old girl, but instead he fled and went on a killing spree with his girlfriend, Deborah Brown. Deborah was one of 11 children, and due to a severe head trauma as a child, she was intellectually disabled and was diagnosed with dependent personality disorder, which is when you become incredibly anxious when you're by yourself. Right. In uh, 1983, Deborah was engaged to another man when she met Alton, but when she met him, she left her family, left her That's fiance, insane. yeah, and oh, moved. she was engaged. Yeah, she left I don't him. Remember that from the last time you told the story. Yeah, just completely left his ass. Damn. And went with uh, Alton, and she had had no history of violence and no criminal record, but she was a willing participant in the killing spree that took place in Indiana. Um, but like we said, also in other parts of the Midwest, um, Alton and Deborah spree started in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Kenosha. They killed nine-year-old Vernita Wheat. Alton had become really good friends with the girl's mother, Juanita, and on May 29th of 1984, so they were killing in the 80s, um, mid-80s, the couple abducted Vernita, so, like, they were all just hanging out, and so... Juanita trusted them, and they were watching Vernita. Juanita and Vernita, I'm not going to lie, like, very similar names. I like Vernita more. Yeah, it's cool. It's different. I've never heard that name before. I definitely know someone named Vernita. Oh, that's cool. Jealous. Um, and then they literally kidnapped her and brought her all the way back to Waukegan. And then Vernita's decomposed body was discovered, like, two months later. Mm-hmm. Um, in an abandoned building that was only floor, four blocks away from Alton's grandmother's apartment. And she had been raped and the cause of death was ligature strangulation. In May of 1984, this also brings up something. I watched a movie recently called The Summer of 84. Hmm. And it's all about how... Also, we're recording in our parents' house in our downstairs bathroom, so there may be some noise. Yeah, there's going to be noises. I think there's someone taking a shower, or it's your computer. I don't know. Or the heat just got kicked on, even though we turned it off. But either way, you guys, we're bear here with us. Yeah, it's like whatever. So, any who's uh, this movie, great movie. Um, it's a Shutter original, and it is uh, called The Summer of 84, and it's kind of... Like, I would say Stranger Thingsy, but like with the serial killer. Mm-hmm. Like it's very also like Disturbia because oh. it's about this kid and he's like, no, our neighbor. It like all these kids are missing. Our neighbor is a serial killer, and everyone, Damn. yeah, like, and he's like crying wolf. Mm-hmm. They think, and then hmm, you'll see what happens. Hmm, hmm, hmm. you'll see. So, uh, let's... you know when a killer is getting messy when he's killing in his own neighborhood. Um. Yeah, that's, like, stupid poor planning. But when you watch the movie, you'll kind of see, like... Why? Why. Um, I don't want to ruin it for anybody. But let's see. Okay, so in May of 1984, Alton again became friends. So he had to be charismatic if he was able to make friends so quickly. Be- and let them... Enough so to have those people let them spend the night at their house. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
Elton became friends with this man named Robert Carpenter, and he and Deborah spent the night at their house, and then Alton asked if he could borrow Robert's car, but Alton and Deborah never came back. Mm. Later that June, Alton and Deborah were in Gary, Indiana, which, just as a side note, for those of you who don't know or aren't super aware, Gary is a very dangerous area. It's dangerous. It's a lot of factories. There's not a lot there. Yeah, shout out to our Gary listeners, but yeah. you all you all know where you live. It's just because it's so It's like we live in Chicago. We know it's not the best. <laughs> yeah, no. There's, you know, people in the streets. Um so like I said, they were in Gary, Indiana. They abducted nine year old Annie Turks and her niece, seven year old Tamika Turks. Both Alton and Deborah sexually assaulted the girls and then just dumped their bodies. Annie thankfully lived, but Tamika died, and then her body was found, and it was very badly decomposed. Mm -hmm. The day Tamika's body was discovered, 25-year-old Donna Williams, also from Gary, Indiana, disappeared on July 11th, but her body was found in Detroit, Michigan, about a mile away from where police found her car. She had been raped. And had also been killed by ligature strangulation. The next set of uh, Alton and Deborah's murders happened, happened in Her Dearborn mind. Heights, Michigan. Shout out to Dearborn Heights. <laughs> Shout out. Um, when the couple broke into the home of Mr. and Mrs. Palmer Jones, both um, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, or Palmer hyphen Jones, I'm sorry, were severely beaten. Alton ripped their telephone from the wall, stole a bunch of their money, and stole their car. The couple then went to Toledo, Ohio, where Alton became friends with a woman named Virginia Temple. She had several children, hmm. and um, her family and friends started being like, huh, we have not heard from Virginia in a really long time. Maybe we should go by the house. Yeah. So when they stopped by, they found that all of the younger children were just, like, huddled in a corner and were just all, like, very scared and upset, and they were all by themselves. Virginia and her oldest child, nine-year-old Rochelle, had been strangled to death, and their bodies were found in the family's house's crawl space. Wow. Yeah. That's... You know what there's a lot of in the Midwest? Crawl spaces. Yeah. No, there's places that don't, like, some uh, homes in some places, they don't have basements. Well, yeah, in California, there's too much sand. Yeah. It's, like, weird. Well, sandy places, like Florida, too, there's not a lot of... Yeah, I would imagine, yeah, I'm guessing it's probably very hard to lay down cement in sand. Yeah, I could be talking out of my ass, but I think that's a thing. Yeah, I'm not a construction worker of any sort, but I I am, but, like, I don't... Well, but, like, (laughs) also people in the South don't really have basements. I feel like. Yeah. Well, maybe they do. I don't fucking know. Uh, Any whoozle. There's nothing soxier than a finished basement. Oh my gosh. Our basement literally looks like, you oh know. Oh my god. Our basement the... in our parents' house is yeah. literally a horror movie. No, you know the opener for the first season of American Horror Story? Yeah. Our basement. No, but our basement's so much more gross. And like, old looking. Disgusting wise. Yeah, our basement's the same except it's not like you know haunted. the basement and the conjuring? It's still grosser than that. Yeah, we had to close off one of the doors because there was, like, asbestos. <laughs> oh, shit, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, There's a lot so, of spiders down there. A lot of spiders. A lot of... There's, like, a weird hole. It's scary. It's... it's anyway. Yeah, there's this whole hole thing. <laughs> there's this there's whole, whole thing with a hole. whole thing. Um, so, 
The morning that um, Virginia and her child's body were found, Alton and Deborah entered the home of Frank and Dorothy Dubendak of uh, Toledo. He tied them up with a phone cord. This is so weird, probably, maybe, like, to, like, our listeners who, like, maybe... No, I don't think we listen to anyone young enough who, like, doesn't know... At one point, there used to be landlines that had very long, curly cords. Yeah. Oh, that, like, when you would get it, like, twisted, and so it couldn't go back, and your mom would get really mad at you. Um, When you would be, like, into a blaze, then you'd, like, twirl your whole body around the car, and then you'd get stuck, and then you'd accidentally suffocate to death. And then you'd die. And then your crush hears you die. And then you're... He's like, hello. When Bay hears you die. (laughs) Yikes. So... Anyways. Anyhoozle. Um, so they just stole the Duvendak's car and some money. They also took one of Mrs. Duvendak's watches. So later that day, they visited the home of Reverend Miller Gay and his wife, Catherine, in Dayton, Ohio. Alton and Deborah stayed at the house with them. Uh, they went to church with them the next day. And then the gays dropped Alton and Deborah off in downtown Cincinnati. C I N C I N N A T I Cincinnati. Hey. Do you remember that song no. from the uh, Drew Barrymore uh, Babes in Toyland movie? No, I don't know. If Keanu I've ever Reeves seen is that. in it, dude. I don't think I've ever seen that. Oh my god, it's great if you haven't. Um, a great Christmas classic to watch in January. So. Um, the next day after they'd been dropped off in Cincinnati, the, uh, 15-year-old Tani Story from Cincinnati disappeared. Eight days later, her raped and, uh, decomposed body was found, and Mrs. Duvendeck's watch was found underneath her body. Hmm. Connecting the two, obs. Alton and Deborah were caught by the police and were eventually convicted with the rape and murder of Tani, and were both sentenced to death. Although, death, uh, oh, just kidding. I will talk about this part later. I forgot. I should have went in and altered my notes from last time. Yeah, because you already fucked up once. Yeah. but I, Part two, Holly still sucks. Part two, I still <laughs> suck. So, Alt, at this point, Alton was added to the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Such a coveted spot. It's like being in, like, the E's top 10. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the first... The next day, the couple rode their bikes. I don't. I highly doubt that they were their bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just like two little huffies that they stole from like two little girls, and they rode their bikes to Norwood, Ohio. Then they stole a car um, from a couple named Harry and Marlene Walters, but not before beating Harry unconscious and raping and beating Marlene to death. Harry, who lived, later testified that he uh, that they came to their house and they asked about a camper that Harry was selling. He, like, invited the couple into the house, so obviously they didn't seem like a threat of any sort. Mm-hmm. And while they were talking, Alton picked up a wooden candlestick, and he was just kind of holding it in his hand for a while, and it was just kind of, like, looking Random at Random and awkward. I'd be like, hey, buddy, you want to put down my candlestick? Well, yeah, I mean, this stuck with Harry, um... And it was like a big, heavy wood stick, and he was. And Harry said he was just looking in at it, and then out of nowhere, he just hit Harry in the back of the head. Damn. The blow broke the candlestick and drove a very large piece of Harry's skull into Ooh. his brain. So Harry had some memory issues. Mm-hmm. So it like sucks. he doesn't remember anything after that. At three forty-five, um, 
AM, the daughter's couple, the couple's daughter, Sherry, returned home from work where she later found her parents' dead bodies, or her mother's dead body, rather. Mm. Um, and her father was unconscious. Both of them had ligature marks around their throats and electrical cords tied around their feet. Her father's hands were handcuffed behind his back, but and her mother's hands were bound behind her back, and her head was covered with a bloody sheet. The coroner said that Marlene had been bludgeoned on the head approximately 25 times. So aggressive. She had 12 serious lacerations, some of which were made by a pair of pliers. So Deborah and Alton got into their toolbox. Um, The back of her skull was crushed into such small pieces and, like, pieces of her brain that they were completely missing. The entire room, hallway, and basement were splattered with bloods and shards of broken... Um, there were shards of a broken Coke pop bottle um, in the house, and it had Alton's fingerprints on it. Mm. And a homeboy, Alton, had a criminal background. Hell yeah, he did. So he was in the register... Alton and Deborah stole the couple's car, some jewelry, money, and their shoes, and then they left behind the bikes and the clothes they had been wearing. So when the cops got there, they're like, wait, what? Right. So this is weird, because they took shit and left shit. Two days later, the Walters' car was found abandoned in Kentucky, while, um... And while they were in Kentucky, they abducted a professor named Olin Carmichael Jr. He was from Williamsburg, and they drove back to Dayton uh, in Carmichael's car with Carmichael locked in the trunk of his own car. They abandoned the car in Dayton, leaving Carmichael in the trunk. That's why I'm glad I have the kind of car where, like, the trunk is not, like, its own secluded area that I could be trapped in. I would be like, hi. <laughs> no, yeah, and Jeeps don't really have boots or, like, trunks, really. Trunks like it's that. It's not, no. like, like, a, like... It's not like secluded. A... It's no. just also part of your car. Yeah, which is better. Yeah, that is. Um, let's see where we were at. Um, oh, right. So, thankfully, the cops found the car and were able to rescue an, I'm guessing... Horribly terrified Carmichael. Uh, yeah. Can you imagine being trapped in a trunk? Yeah, like, it. how do you, how do you do that? Like, oh, So, for this crime, uh, Alton and Deborah, like, had committed a federal offense because they kidnapped someone and brought them over state lines. So that makes the, uh... You know, they're already doing bad shit, but mm-hmm. this obviously yes, escalates It's never things. good to commit murders in multiple states. No. So, abandoning Michael, Carmichael, that is, the couple went back um, to the home of the gays, the reverend and his wife that they had stayed with. And, but by this point, like, I mean, Alton was on fucking America's... Most wanted. <laughs> I almost said him. Alton was on America's Next Top Model at this point. <laughs> He was in the top ten. He was Tyra's favorite. He was Tyra's favorite. It would have had to be in one of the more recent seasons because they only just now have dudes. Yeah, right. So, yeah, that was a funny turn. Um, so, anyways, so the couple, the Reverend and his wife, like, recognized them. And 
the reverend was just like, like, you're doing all this stuff to people. Why have you never hurt us? And Elton was like, well, I'm not going to kill you. <coughs> Even though we Sorry. usually do kill people. You're fine. Um, which is like a really weird answer. Because hmm. they just left. They stole the gay's car again. So, Rude. presumably a different car at this point. Um, and then they were on their way to Evanston, Illinois. Shout out to the Shout E. Shout out to the East of Shout Chicago. Shout out to the E. Um, on July 20th, Alton and Deborah were finally arrested in the E. And they were walking... E. Yeah, because they were walking across an intersection. And a man who had grown up with Alton noticed him. And immediately, like, got off of the highway, went to a gas station, and called the cops and was like, holy fuck, I saw Alton. And the cops were like, holy fuck, we're, like, coming. And when they found Alton and Deborah, they were just sitting in the bleachers of an empty park. Just sitting. That's really weird. Yeah. And also very cinematic. It is. That's very, like, um, the end of the fucking world. It Yeah, that's kind of what it reminded me of a little bit, thinking about it. Except these are, like, middle-aged, like, people. Older people. Um... So the police approached them. The police were like, are you Alton? And he's like, no. And then <laughs> Deborah tried fleeing the park, but two police caught up with her and they found a gun in her purse, which isn't good. They Not took something him. a normal person keeps in their purse. No, they took him to the Ev uh, Evanston PD and they were obviously positively identified by their fingerprints. Alton... So she was also in the system. She must have been by that point, yes. Yeah. Um, Alton was strip-searched, and police found a steak knife hidden in his sock. They had been carrying a shopping bag full of shirts that the police had found, um, and they would stop every three... Because they were, like... I mean, like, there was an APB out on them, right. and so, like, if someone saw them, they'd be like, okay, they look like this. So they yeah. carried different colored t-shirts with oh, them Oh, yeah, you hats. told me that. That's so fucking genius. Kind, yeah, I mean, because... Like, just to, like, be, like, sporadically changing your clothes. Exactly, because when the guy who saw Alton was like, okay, like, for example, he's like, okay, he's wearing a blue shirt, she's wearing a red shirt, but yeah. when the cops saw them and the bleachers, they had changed. Yeah. So they were like, okay, I don't know if those are them. So that's, like, why they asked him that, I guess, but, I mean... They got him. Yeah. Um, uh, a week after the arrest, more than 50 law enforcement officials from Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Kentucky, and Ohio met to plan their strategy for prosecuting Alton and Deborah because they had committed crimes within each state. Mm -hmm. Six fucking states. Jesus Christ. Obviously, they all wanted the death penalty. So that ruled out Michigan because at the time they were not employing capital punishment. And it was, are they now? Uh, no, like most of the places don't anymore. Because I mean, at this time Illinois still did, and we don't know. Um. Okay, so um, it was ruled that they were going to be tried in Ohio because, according to the United States Attorney Dan K. Webb, he said that we are convinced that the prosecution in Ohio will most likely result in the quickest imposition of the death penalty against Elton and Deborah. Yeah. Cuz to drag out that many trials in that Yeah, that's why many it's states, so that's shitty. Just... That's so shitty. It's so shitty for all of the victims because that yeah. means they're picking I mean, they're they're only tried I mean, I mean going back to fucking Ted Bundy, like he wasn't even ever tried for 
all of the fucking shit he did in Seattle. At all. That's bullshit. So, anywho's all. Um, we mentioned this when we recorded it the first time, but, like, Ohio was, like, very quick at main, like, mainlining the, um, death penalty. the death, the death penalty what is, process. Are they still death penalty? Do we know? I uh, don't know off the t- TMA. I'll look it up while you do that. Cute. So, the state of Ohio convicted Alton and Deborah, finding them guilty of the rape and murder of Tawny Story in Cincinnati and Marlene Waters in Norwood. Not anymore. No more? Nope. Just Alabama, Florida, Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, Arizona, California, and Utah. Is Illinois on that list? No. Oh, cool. Um, Just the ones I said. (laughs) Okay, cool. So, they were both sentenced to death. Alton appealed to the Supreme Court multiple times uh, between 1985 and 2002, but his arguments uh, didn't change the justices' mind. And the, his conviction was never overturned. They're like, no, 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 no. You need to die, homie. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I keep calling people homies. Um, Deborah was originally sentenced to death for complicity in the crimes. But in 1991, there was a psychologist who met with Deborah a lot. And she could sense, obviously, that, you know, Deborah had mental um, deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Um so her death sentence was commuted to just life in prison because of her IQ score and her master-slave relationship with Alton right. as a result of her dependent personality disorder. So despite no, like I said, previous violence recording before the killing spree, Deborah showed no regret at first for her acts. And during the sentencing phase of her first trial, she sent a note to the judge that said, I killed the bitch and I don't give a damn. I had fun out of it, Hmm. which isn't written correctly, but still creepy. She was also given the death sentence for Tamika Turks, who had been killed in Indiana, but that sentence was commuted to 140 years imprisonment last year in 2005 (laughs) or 2005, if you're nasty. Deborah finally showed signs of remorse and sent a video to the victim's families apologizing for what she'd done. And she's currently serving her sentence without the possibility of parole at the Dayton Correctional Institution in Dayton, Ohio. Back to Alton. There were so many victims and survivors of these crimes that they had committed that they were all allowed to witness the execution of Alton. So much so that prison officials had to set up a closed-circuit viewing venue outside of the building. Alton's last meal consisted of a well-done filet mignon smothered in mushrooms, fried chicken breasts, a salad with French dressing, sweet potato pie topped with whipped cream, French fries, collard greens, onion rings, cornbread, broccoli with melted cheese, Hmm. Biscuits and gravy, and a cherry coke. Uh, while, while reciting Psalms uh, 23... Hold on one second, I fucked up. Um, so, while reciting Psalms, Psalms 23, Alton was executed by lethal injection in the death chamber of the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility in Lucasville, Ohio. In total, Alton received four death sentences, Two from Ohio, one from Illinois, and one from Indiana, and he is the only person in the entire United States to have death sentences in three states. Wow. Yeah. So, they were spree killers. Yep. They were spree killers. Because that took place over, 
literally the summer of 84. People kill a lot more people in the summer. There's not as much to do. That's very true. And you don't really want to stay inside as much because it's not freezing dick cold like it is right now. It is literally a it freezing is cold dick freezing outside. freezing dick cold outside. Yeah. But if that you was don't... crazy. Yeah. Cray cray. All right. So I guess we'll move on to my first murder. Of From Indiana. Indiana. Um, and that is Carl Charlie Brandt. I just moved my notes you away from did. you, even though you've heard the story before. I know, I was going to do that. I still don't want you to read along with me. I don't, I, I get totally understand. It's okay. that feeling of having someone behind, I'm like, like don't look reading at behind you, yeah. So Carl, otherwise known as Charlie Brandt, and by otherwise known as, I mean, you know, a nickname. Um, <laughs> that People know what AK means. <laughs> he was born February 23rd, 1957, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, his He was born to, um, I think we... we Discuss that this name is Ilsa and Herbert Brand, two um, German immigrants. We discussed amongst ourselves. We discussed last part one. Uh, Charlie also had an older sister named Angela. The family moved frequently due to his father's different job changes, and he kept getting like promotions, which is great. Charlie was regarded as a good student, but he was really shy, and he kind of had a hard time meeting new people and, like, making friends. Yeah, Especially AKA, moving a lot. I mean, that's hard. That is true. That is uh, true. Especially if you're awkward. Yeah, especially if you have, you know, probably, uh, abnor- or, uh, what is it? Ep- uh, something. Something normal personality disorder. Yeah. Antisocial. It's also uh, important for me to note that Charlie's family were really big into hunting. Okay. Uh, Indiana. Ding, hunting. Ding, ding. They hunted a lot? They were hunters. So he knew how to mm-hmm. clean a deer. Correct. <laughs> On the night he of He knew January, how to break down a deer. He knew how to decompose a deer? No. No, he knew how to bro- break it down. Break it down, flip it around, make it yummy. Deer are gamey. On the night of January 3rd, 1971, uh, Brant was 13 years old at the time. He walked into his parents' bathroom where his father was shaving at the sink and his mother was um, in the bathtub. And at this point, she was actually eight months pregnant. Oh. And he shot them both point blank, which just means like boom, boom, right? Like shot, yeah, shot. Yeah, po- point blank just means like straight, like kill shots. Yeah, he wasn't like... Yeah, he was like... Brah, brah. He just right, like boom, not... boom. Cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's not just make gun noises. I get it, Morgan. After that, he went to his sister Angela's room, and he went to fire his gun at her, but this time it didn't go off. Whether there was a, I don't know, if, like, gun backfired, or that's a car. I don't know. Yeah. Guns don't backfire. Needless to say, Angela fought this motherfucker off and ran away. She kind of, like, coaxed him into, like, being like... Okay, it's okay, you're okay. And then at the very last second, she's like, boop! Yeah, ran to a neighbor's, called the cops. Apparently, he also ran to a different neighbor's house, and he admitted to the whole thing. Yeah. Herbert, so he had, like, a mental issue. Yeah. Herbert uh, survived the gunshot and later identified his son as the murderer. Oh, please. Because he was only 13 at the time of the crime, he was not charged with murder. He instead was ordered to undergo three different psychiatric evaluations. On all three different occasions, specialists were unable to diagnose him with any reason that he would have committed these crimes. Well, really, he only killed his mom, but trying to kill his entire family. Like, he was, that was what he was doing. Yeah. He just wasn't successful. No. Fully. He, he did good. kill his future brother or sister and mom, though. 
They probably oh. knew if it was a boy or girl. I don't know. Yeah. That wasn't in the, oh, yeah. in the stuff. The family had no recollection of a time where they had seen him act in any sort of, like, anger. And they all said that he really loved his mom a lot. And, like, they didn't, didn't understand any... why yeah. this no would have happened. No violent tendencies. Charlie was not showing any signs of mental illness at all. And so he was released back to his family, to his dad, who he shot. And his sister, who he was gonna kill. They, did they, for, well, he must have yeah, forgiven him. Yeah. I mean, if, it's so, I don't know. I wouldn't know because I haven't been through the sitch. I can't imagine, like, I don't know if I would. Because, I mean, like, think, because, like. Uh, well, don't have kids, so I don't know, but, like. Ugh, well, let's, ow. let's, I mean, we don't want to, let's not, I'll go there. No, let's not do that, actually. Let's not do let's that. Let's not pick it apart and think of what we would do if we actually lost a loved one and then had to yeah. go through all that rigmarole. It's yeah. not cool. So the family ended up keeping this whole thing a secret and they never really spoke about it. Even to Charlie's younger sister, his father just told them that their mother died in a car accident. So I don't know if the younger sister was the one who she was pregnant with when she died. I think maybe it was a new one that he had with his new wife. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking I think they were half-siblings. Yeah. The family relocated to Florida, and when Charlie grew up, he got a degree in electronics, he became a radar specialist, and he also married a woman named Terry, and they settled in the Florida Keys in 1989. They had been married about 15 years. Last time we were talking about this, as soon as I said Florida Keys, you said the real world. I did start talking about the real world. (laughs) Which is ironic, because this is the same year that the real world uh, was actually filming at the Florida Keys, when that huge... Hurricane Ivan hit, which was 2004 in, like, September. I and also thought of it... I forgot that I had thought of it before, but I rethought yeah, of it now. And now you're you like, oh my it. god, Johnny Bananas. Exactly. So the couple had been married 15 years at this point, Terry and Carl, or Charlie. And uh, at this time, Terry's niece was basically offering them a place to stay because they were evacuated from their home. Mm-hmm. And her name was Michelle Lynn Jones, like I said, she offered them a place to stay. She lived in Orlando, which is basically in the middle of Florida. It's re- it's like an hour away from any beach, so yeah, it's pretty no far beach. from the ocean, which is good. Michelle and Terry were more like best friends than a normal aunt, you know, and like niece kind uh-huh. of relationship because they were actually a lot closer in age. I think they were only like maybe seven years apart or something like oh, that. Okay, yeah. Uh, Things got weird one night when one of Michelle's friends who had had plans to go over to Michelle's um, got a call from Michelle basically saying, hey, I don't think it's a good idea if you come here tonight. My aunt and her husband, they're fighting a lot and they've been drinking. Oh, crap. Yeah. And that's kind of scary. I'd be like, okay, well, do you want to like come over? Mm -hmm. Like, okay. Yeah. Do you want me to help you? Yeah. So after that phone call, no one was able to get a hold of Michelle again. (coughs) Same. Friends kept calling and trying to get a hold of Michelle with no luck. On September 5th, Debbie Knight, which is one of Michelle's friends, went to her home and began knocking on the front door. No one answered, so she decided to go around to the uh, garage. So she, I guess, got in the garage door, and in there she found the decomposed hanging body of Charlie Brandt. So he'd been there a while. He had been there... I don't know exactly the timeline. So September 15th is when Debbie went in there. Mm-hmm. The night that that happened, do, do, do. Uh, it doesn't say exactly the night, but it was sometime in September. Yeah. Probably a week or so after, I don't know. If they had an indigenous person summer. Yeah, so he had hanged himself. 
When the police arrived, they found Terry's body. She has she was reclining on the couch, and she had been stabbed multiple times in the chest. Michelle's body was also found, and it had been decapitated and disemboweled. Oh. Yeah. He cut her heart and her organs out. Oh. Like, individually, her organs? Oh. Well, I mean, yeah, they're not, like, the same thing, you know what I mean? Right, so he was, like... So he, like, cuts the heart like out, and then he, like, over cuts here. the Do you think lungs he... out. Yeah. Oh, boy. Have you seen that picture of the guy who coughed up his, like... You know, the, like, the, I don't know if they're bones, but it's, like, the stuff that's in your lungs and it looks like branches, so they're called, like, lungs. Ah, I don't know. He coughed it up. Oh, shut up, brother. And then he, like, obviously bled to death and died. Yeah. Are you Googling a picture of it? Because it's kind of beautiful. I'm pretty sure they're called... Bronchial... Bronchial tubes? Bronchial branch. Yeah, I know what those are, bitch. I knew Type in, like, guy coughs up bronchial branch. Meh. We've, it's kind of, it's, yeah, look it's, it the up, bronch- it's the bronchial tubes. So yeah. speaking of, you know, us being interested in the uh, human anatomy, and upon pictures, later, yeah, yeah, they're these bad yeah, boys, those things upon later investi- investigation, oh my God, he coughed them up. Google the picture. I don't, I will later upon later investigation. Brandt had had a, an extensive collection of surgical books and his online history showed an obsession with watching autopsy videos and snuff films where girls were being, you know, murdered, murdered and their bodies were being like they were being when snuffed. They were dead. Yeah. Due to the heinous and familiar similarities in this particular case, a search of Florida's old cold cases started being looked into. Once they started searching, they were able to link Brandt to 26 unsolved murders in Florida dating back to the 70s. Uh, None of them have been completely confirmed. There's also a lot of kills that they don't necessarily know who it was. Okay. Or wait, but no, they, I'm sorry. That was That's with my next guy. <laughs> it's cool. It's These ones are night. all what they, 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 they go with him as MO, like people's hearts were cut out. But he's not there to... But he's not there to there, say well, anything, and, and there wasn't, no like... definitive. There's no... It's not like they can find his, like, fingerprints or anything like that. Yeah, and it wasn't like it was on his right. property, and they found their property and all that yeah. stuff. That's unfortunate. It's a really sad story because, like, he could have been put away for a while, yeah, or he at should least have been... treated, even though he wasn't showing signs, that doesn't mean that... He that had is a sign. Showing something. Yeah. Killing your mother is a sign, That's regardless of whether sign. you're testing positively or not. Yeah, a psychopath can go, can be untested, like, yeah. they can go through so many tests and they won't seem te- completely fine. They're fine because that's how their brains have been taught. Yeah, to blend. To in. act how you're supposed to act. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone's been watching the new season of Riverdale, but there's a really <laughs> badass Jesus. part when. Um, Betty is like, what's that test? The, the, the ink blot test. Oh, she's um, having that done and Rorschach? she's, yeah. And she's saying what she's actually thinking of in her mind, but she's like, come up with something good. So she's like pony, but in her head, she's like a demon. And oh. yeah. So it's like her trying to like, I just be like the day season of Rovadel is fucking awesome. Vagina, vagina, vagina eating a pussy. I don't vagina a butterfly. I don't know. They all vagina eating a vagina. Well, yeah, that was vagina the vagina um, that's also. It just reminds me of the butterfly effect. Always, and yeah, always. I'm like Ashton Kutcher. Seriously, Amy Smart. Amy Smart. Yes, I can never think of her name. <laughs> so that was that. That was yeah. So now, um, we're going to get to my guy who, when I read everything about him, was referred to as the John Wayne Gacy of Indiana, 
But spoiler alert, turns out when Morgan was reading information about her <laughs> second guy, he was also killed. The indi- the yeah, we were Jemmy- te- we were texting and I, I was like, Holly was like, my guy's like the John Wayne Gacy of Indiana. And I was like, wait, wait my guy's the John Wayne Gacy of Indiana. <laughs> I was like, whoa, Indiana has two John Wayne Gacy's? No way. Lucky. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so unlike John Wayne Gacy, Herb's murders are very mysterious and very little is known about his actual victims because he killed himself before he was ever arrested. He killed at least 20 gay men in the Indianapolis area during the 80s and 90s when Herb was in his 30s and 40s, which, I mean, I'm just old now, I guess, and I'm just coming to terms with that, I think, is probably what the <laughs> like old. thing is. Well, I mean, I just keep thinking, like, and we talked about it with the Gacy episode, like, when we realized he was 35 years old when he got caught, oh, we yeah. literally, like, shat out our bronchial tubes. I know. <laughs> like, it literally, like, and Bronchial so, trees, that's what they're called. Yeah. Um, but, like, and, like, and watching the uh, dead Bundy thing now, like, motherfucker was only 28 I know. years old. But he looks, like, in his late 40s. I know. That's he, why I asked you, like, at the time, I was like, wait, how old is he? Because he looks really old. Yeah, I mean, in the 80s, like, during all the trial stuff and when he's sentenced, that, I believe, uh, yeah, no, he would be in the 40s then, or in his 40s, because he was born in 46. But anyway, back to Herb Baumeister. Um, like Gacy, he was able to get away with his murders because, oh, Jesus Christ, shut up. That's so gross. I know. I pulled up the picture, you More guys, of the, the thing he coughed up. No, I would... It was like a medical marvel. Did he me- immediately die afterwards? He bled out and died, yeah. Oh my god. How does that happen? How do I stop that from happening? Did he vape too much? Um, I don't remember. I was talking to someone no, about it and don't I don't... Don't look at other pictures. Don't Sorry. look at other pictures. Don't look at other pictures. Let me you get can watch gross about movies, this. but you can't look at real shit. I'd rather look at real shit. Is that weird? No, I, I've looked at real shit too, but I just don't want to right now. Okay, fair. Fair. <laughs> fair. So... He went undetected because, like Gacy, he had a very good facade of being, you know, an upstanding citizen. He was a loving family man. He was, but, you know, was living two lives. One as a husband and father, and the other one as a sadistic serial killer. Mm -hmm. Um, By day, he worked as a store owner at a retail store called Save-A-Lot. Not the Save-A-Lot. Like, the one and only... (laughs) That well, there's a save a lot chain depending if you're from the Midwest or not, of like grocery stores. They're kind of like Aldi's. Yeah, they're not as good as Aldi's, but no, these were like retail stores, and he had two of them, and they were very successful, and yes. he became very wealthy, and he bought himself a million dollar home and estate that he called Fox Hollow Farm in Westfield, Indiana. And I'm guessing a million dollars back in what the fucking 80s could buy you a. Oh my God. Yeah. So much. So much. So much. That guy on fire literally bought that island for a million dollars, didn't he? 1.5. Uh, allegedly. I don't think he bought allegedly. shit. Allegedly. Yeah, no, I don't think he did shit. So, uh, Herb had a wife named Julie of 25 years, and they had three children, two daughters and a son. And he showered his family with love and affection. He wasn't, like, mean to them in any way. He wasn't abusive at all. The family would often spend summers at their vacation home that they had at a lake by, a lake by near a nearby lake, 
Um, but Herb would always stay back, saying that he needed to be there to watch the stores. In 1994, while Herb's son was playing out in the forest on the family's property, he found two human skulls. And he ran and told his mom, and when he showed her, she went back and they started digging up other human bones. And when Julie asked Herb about it, he said that they were from his father. He had gotten them from his father, who would use them in a med- like while he was in medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, never explained how they got buried on their property. Like, you'd think if you inherited, you know, usually, you know, we have stuff that we've gotten from our grandparents. Yeah. They're not buried in our backyard. You? No. Um, <laughs> he's like, oh, not. no. So, but, you know, Julie didn't ask, <laughs> Julie did not ask these questions. So she just took it and was like, all right. Hmm. Um, in 1993, the police received a call from a young man saying that he had almost been a herb. Uh-huh. I can't talk right now, you guys. I'm so sorry. He had almost been a victim of herb, but that um, herb called himself Brian Smart. And it's weird how the name is herb, but the word is herb. Go on. It is. No, I completely fucking agree. (laughs) It's also weird that the name Sean is sometimes spelled S-E-A-N. I feel like we've talked about... Hi, my name's Seen. Hi, my name's Sian. Hi, my name's Sian. Otherwise known as Sean. Or Sean. Yeah, it's like, excuse me. Um, So, uh, he also claimed that this Brian man had also killed one of his friends, which he did. Um, And like I said, tried to kill him too, but he didn't really have any other information but the police told him to keep in touch with them whenever he saw them like they were very involved they weren't like just like okay you're gay shut up go away yeah you know they were like very concerned with this uh they were like keep us posted and so it wasn't until two years later that the man called back and said that he'd seen brian smart again but this time he was driving brian smart that is rather and herb uh was driving around but this guy was able to write down his license plate number, and when the police ran the plate, they found that the car was registered to Herb Baumeister. And so this ba- is when... Baumeister? Baumeister. Uh, Burger Meister Meister Burger from <laughs> that one movie. Oh, now I want a cheeseburger. Mm, me too. Um, mm. And so this is when they started monitoring and surveilling his activities, and this is also when Herb started to get a little paranoid, as anyone would. As a serial does. killer, you know, like any other. You know serial when you've killer. killed someone and done like the most illegal act there is, or at least one of them, I guess. Yeah, it's not a good it's one. That one. It's that one. So, um, Herb's business in the '90s started not doing so well, and the police were closing in on him as a possible suspect for all these disappearances. And in November of 1995, the police went to the house and asked if they could search the property. Obviously, Herb was like. No. Uh, no, please. He's like, um, no. Like, no no, no reason why. Oh, uh, uh, no. He's like, I have to go with this shovel on a completely unrelated subject. Um, this bag of lie. Yeah. Oh, God. Does lie come in bags? I don't know. I don't know, and I don't think you this should. This basin go- of lie? Don't Google it. Yeah. You don't need that on your search history. Keep that history. shit out of your search history, y'all. Yeah. Go on incognito or something. So, the detectives... Like, didn't have enough evidence for Herb, so they could not obtain a search warrant. However, they did drive to Julie's work, and they told her about... Like, they were trying to kind of use her as a pawn against him, because they told her all about his sexual proclivities. Mm -hmm. um, Because, assuming that she didn't know about his gay activity. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. 
and he, they also told her that many of the men in this Indianapolis area were missing, and that they believed that Herb had something to do with it. They were just like, okay, okay, um, no, probably not. She's like, that couldn't be Herb. Herb is like amazing. He's amazed balls. He's like the best husband ever. He wouldn't do it. And so when she got home, she asked him about it, and he was like, no, it's fine. And she just again believed him, mm. but. Herb was starting to freak out more and more as the police were intermittently coming to the house and asking him questions. Because the police can legally come to your house and talk to you. Oh, yeah. Regardless of whether you talk to them or not is up to you. They just can't but, go in. No, they just can't come in looking around. And um, and if you say no, then they have to go. Um, but but they also are like, hmm. But then they're also like, huh. 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 Um, so that huh. obviously stressed him out because, I mean, they were probably just coming, well, they were coming and asking him about the murders, but they were also probably kind of trying to, uh, what's the word? Smoke him out. Mm -hmm. That's probably offensive to say nowadays. Mm. Um, I don't know. But so, like I said, Herb was freaking out. He started lashing out more and Julie had, was like, enough is enough. And she filed for a divorce. But also by this point, her, uh, Julie started putting pieces together and was like, okay, Herb is full of shit. And so before the divorce was finalized, while Julie still had access to the property, she called the police one weekend when Herb was staying at the nearby lake house and told them that they could come and search the entire property as Bad much as they beach. wanted. Yup. That's what a bad bitch does, y'all. <laughs> That's what a great woman does. So, the police... Seeks justice. Yeah, man. She couldn't look herself. No. Well, I'm, well I mean... She could have looked herself and just called them and like, hey, I found this. I mean, true, but she wanted them... Well, she also... Maybe she realized she would have been stomping all over a potential crime scene. I don't know. That's accurate. That's accurate. Also, you know, once you see some human bones, your props don't want to see anymore. Especially mm. because the police searched the wooded area on the family's property and found hundreds of bones and the investigators were found the remains of 11 men. Wow. Um, so like I said, Herb is out of town. That's very Gacy using his own home as burial spots. Exactly. And, which is fucking Well, stupid. and like you don't, like people may not, from, who aren't from the Midwest may not realize or you do, I don't know, but <laughs> the Midwest is uh, pretty flat. You can watch your dog run away for two weeks. Um, <laughs> and it is just barren. Like, it is just, like, corn and soybean fields. Yeah. It is just nothingness. And, like, woods. And, like, yeah. And so there's some place, and especially in Indiana. And, yeah. And so, like, you'll come upon, and, like, they lived on a farm, so they lived out in the middle of nowhere. And, I mean, yeah. I have friends. No neighbors. Yeah, so you don't have a neighbor for a couple of miles. No one can hear anything. No one knows anything, and you think, I mean, like, this is your property, and yeah. you think you own everything. Also, the added uh, zest of being, well, I'm guessing he was a psychopath. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, so he's out of town, and he's panicking, and he calls his brother to ask for some money, and his brother is like, well... Actually, the police are at your house right now searching the property oh, because they have shit. found human remains. Lots of them. Like a bunch. Like and lots of them. Yeah. So on July 3rd, Herb fled to Canada. He wrote a suicide letter noting his failed marriage and business, but never mentioning the killings. And he parked his car 
at Pinery Provincial Park in Grand Bend, Ontario, and he shot himself, and he was not found until eight days later. Mm. Herb never confessed to the murders, obviously, but the police had all of the evidence they needed to positively prove that Herb Baumeister was responsible for the murders of these 11 dudes. Um, Excuse me. In uh, 1998, the police connected him to the murders of nine other men. Between the years of 1980 and 1990, nine men were found murdered um, in the Indiana, Ohio area along Interstate 70, giving this killer at the time, which they did not know was Herb, the I-70 killer. Mm -hmm. Um, The men's bodies were found partially clothed, and the majority of them had died from strangulation. Uh, The remains obtained from Herb's property also showed that some of what they could from some of the remains showed signs of strangulation too i mean i think when they found the bones it was kind of like a i'm gonna just bring all of this back to ted bundy because that's what i've been watching lately but it's like with bundy how they literally just found remains they like you can only you can't like determine death if you only have bones that that you know you can't put because there's literally literally nothing that you can yeah there's no way to have you've no idea how the body was i mean not really yeah so although he played the role of an upstanding citizen and family man as an adult he had a little bit of a troubled past which could possibly explain what he grew up to become as a child herb's father took him to a psychiatrist who diagnosed him with schizophrenia and possibly multiple personality disorder Mm. but also keep in mind this was probably like i don't know not to discredit these psychologists in any way, but I mean, it this predates a lot of the yeah they were on like the DSM like yeah. one probably at this point. <laughs> so, but anyways, um, also uh, one of Herb's childhood friends said that he liked playing with dead animals. You'd think that friend mm. would not be his friend anymore once he Why realized play with dead animals, I especially know. probably back in the day when there was nothing to do. Well, but Herb went so far as one day while walking to school, he found a dead crow and he put it on his teacher's desk. Hmm. You know how like some kids give their teachers an apple. Herb gave his teacher a, a dead, dead animal. Crow. <laughs> dead crow. bird, the nastiest animals. And a crow, the one animal that like yeah, means that's pretty death. like punk, honestly. Yeah. So also, on another occasion, he peed all over his teacher's desk. I really did not like authority. Yeah, and another point when he was like uh, had another job, he was working at the DMV, and he peed on a letter to the governor. Like that's just rude. Like. Like, someone just has to type that. So, out of the estimated 20-plus victims Herb murdered, only eight have been identified. And we only have their names, which are Johnny Bayer, who is 20, Alan Wayne Broussard, who is 28, Roger A. Goodlett, who is 33, Richard D. Hamilton, who is 20, Stephen S. Hale, 26, Jeff Allen Jones, 31, Michael Kieran, 46, and Manuel Resendez, 31. I'm sorry, we do not know more about you boys. Yeah, that's really sad. In our it's hearts. crazy. The, he is very John Wayne Gacy, just, you know, in a different kind of way. Yeah, and it just sucks that we don't have the same kind of information. Yeah. So that these families could have more peace. It's weird that something that crazy happens and you don't hear about it the way you hear about John Wayne Gacy or Ted Bundy. Exactly. Like, that's crazy fucking too. Also, some of these victims' families, 
I mean, it, the details may just not be as yeah. publicized as the other ones. So I'm my hope of hopes is that these families have found peace and know more than we do, mm-hmm. which is totally cool. Yeah. So on to the last Indiana killer. Yes. So this is my my personal John Wayne Gacy of Indiana. Yeah, like my personal. We should do Idaho next. My own. Is that what that movie's called? My personal Idaho? I don't know. My own personal John Wayne Gacy. (laughs) (laughs) So this next guy's name is Larry Eiler. He was born December 21st, 1952 in Crawfordville, Indiana. Crawfordsville, Indiana. Crawfordsville. Crawfordsville, Indiana. So a few of Larry's murders took place in his home state of Indiana. Stop reading my notes. But he was also known as the highway killer. Because he traveled all around the Midwest committing wait, his crimes. Wait, kind of mine like was on the people. highway too. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, was... Other states that Eiler killed in were Wisconsin, also in Kentucky, uh, in Ohio. I don't know how to do the Ohio accent. I think actually Ohio is the most just normal it is. people talk. It is. I think it's like the most middle. It is. And last but not least, Illinois, where we reside. Well, and that is also where that. he would later be tried for his crimes, but we'll get to that. We'll get back to that. So Larry grew up in Indiana. He was the youngest of four. He had an abusive father and a mother who would often send him off to live with friends and family because she couldn't take care of him. That sucks. That doesn't do good for a child's nope. developmental. So Larry dropped out of high school his senior yes. year, but he did earn his GED later and he did a couple years of college, but never received any sort of a degree. Just as, you know, some background stuff. Yeah. Unknown to his family and friends, Larry began having homosexual feelings, which in his case made him lash out in both anger and in sex, which equals angry sex, which we all know can be fun, but also can be dangerous if... um, Safe words. Gotta get your safe words. Tornado. 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 Pineapple. Laundry. Laundry. That's one. Yeah. Uh, John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> that's mine every day. Yeah. So Larry shares. You just Kaiser so say them and of say anything. John Wayne Gacy. Back. He shares a lot of similarities. His first kill took place on March twenty second of nineteen eighty two. A body was found in the outskirts of Lexington, Kentucky. A man named Jay Reynolds was identified as the man, and he had been stabbed to death. Nine months later, the second kill would come on October third. A fourteen year old boy named Delvoid Baker, went missing, and his body was found on the side of a road in Indianapolis. He had been strangled to death. Then later on October 23rd, Stephen Crockett, a 19-year-old, was found just outside of Lowell, Indiana. He had been stabbed I think it's 32 Lowell. times. Fuck. 32. Yeah. I interrupted you last time, too. Always. Pretty much always. Yeah, it doesn't matter what it's called. He stabbed that person way too many times. Yep. So now Larry would move to Illinois. He left the body of Robert Fowley in a northwest field in Joliet. Oh, God. Which is really close to where we are right now. Yeah, real, real close. Because we're in our hometown, which is only like, what, maybe like not even an hour from Joliet? 45 minutes? Yeah. It's probably around the area where we spun out last night. Yeah, and almost fucking died on I-80. Oh, God, it's scary out there, you guys. If you live in Chicago or anywhere where it's like this, If you live anywhere being affected by the polar vortex right now... I thought we almost died last night. Yeah, Morgan and I, like, spun out, and we had to drive, like, five miles an hour the rest of the way home, and we're just like... Ugh. 
So after this kill, on Christmas Day of 1982, another body was found dumped on the side of the road. Later, it was identified as John Johnson. Three days later, he would commit another murder. This one is very similar to John Wayne Gacy's M.O. because he had a double murder, which we know Gacy would so romantically refer to as doubles nights. Yeah. Both bodies of the boys, whose names were Stephen Agin and John Roach, were discarded in Indiana. So this is a very classic case of police not working with different police departments. Departments. Again, Um, circling back to fucking... And so everything seemed like a one-off. Nothing seemed like a... They weren't like finding that all like the same kind of MOs were happening. Like, yeah, they weren't seeing any kind of pattern being because strangled and stabbed to yeah. death on the highway. They were all like isolated incidences. And they were like thousands of miles apart or like hundreds of miles apart, all of the kills. But uh so unfortunately most of the police that were investigating weren't unable to make any sort of a you know mm-hmm. headway. I don't get that bravado. But Lowell police weren't able to match the dots when they spoke to Craig Townsend. He was actually a survivor of Larry's um, around November of 82. So before all of the Christmas stuff for all of those kills, Craig had escaped um, out of Larry's, you know, dungeon of wherever. But when he was questioned at the hospital where he was being treated, he literally escaped the hospital. So he wouldn't have to talk to police. Oh yeah. So he was scared. Yeah, well, probably didn't want or to had something going on. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Maybe he had like a gram, like a dime bag. Yeah. So I don't want to go through every single murder. There were a lot. They mostly all occurred throughout Illinois and Indiana. Mostly stabbed and strangled to death. One body was found disemboweled. That's really messed up. On August thirty first of nineteen eighty three, Ralph uh, Kelsey was a thir- was Larry's thirteenth kill. Kelsey's body was found near Lake Forest, Illinois. Oh, God. He had only been dead about 10 hours before the police found him. He had been bound with clothesline and surgical tape, and he was stabbed 17 times. Kelsey's pants had also been down around his ankles when the body was found. Then a month later in Indiana, or I'm sorry, a month later in an Indiana patrol officer who was just, you know, driving up and down the highway, investigated a pickup truck that was parked along I-65. He saw two men near the vehicle, and one of them appeared to be bound. The officer identified Larry Eiler as the owner of the truck, and after examination, found nylon clothesline, surgical tape, and a hunting knife in his car. The hunting knife had blood on it that matched that of Ralph Cassie's on it. Forensic experts later noted that both the tire tracks from Larry's truck and the imprints from Larry's shoes also matched the scene of Ralph's murder. Oh, God. Ralph Kelsey's murder. During this investigation, Larry was still murdering because he wasn't actually arrested. A lot of the bodies have gone undiscovered even to this day. On October 4th, 1983, 14-year-old Derek Hassan was found dismembered. He was near Kenosha, Wisconsin. Eleven days later, a young uh, John Doe, again, like I said, some people just, they don't know who they were. Mm -hmm. This body was discovered near Rensselaer, Indiana. Okay. I'll look it up. Yeah. Rensselaer. Rensselaer. Oh. I mean, you can keep talking. Yeah, sorry. I looked up (laughs) Lowell. Oh, it's really close to Lowell. Um, It's currently 18 degrees there. The next couple murders were, was another John Doe. Also, a young boy named Richard Wayne 
um, and an identified an unidentified male were found together. Like so, probably another doubles night situation, and that was found outside of Indianapolis. They were found. I'm sorry, outside of Indianapolis. Police were able to track down Craig Townsend, who was the one survivor who had ran away from the hospital. Okay. And they had him identify Larry as his attacker. Another survivor also spoke out against Larry, saying similar things happened to him where he had been attacked, tied up, and then he was left for dead. Uh. But the detectives wanted to get him for homicide, not for kidnapping. So they continued with their efforts. In 1984, Larry actually filed a civil lawsuit against the Lake County Sheriff's Office where he claimed the officers there were using psychological warfare against him to make him lose his mind. Yeah, Lake um, County doesn't have a great history of... Really? Of their, their Lake County is, doesn't... It's kind of like Chicago, just corruptness. Mm, well, in this case, pretty sure he did it. Yeah. And that's just what I truly believe because... We'll, we'll keep going. Mm-hmm. So he made a claim for half a million dollars. It was denied. As he left the courtroom for that case, he was arrested for the murder of Ralph Kelsey. He was held on a $1 million bond. However, during a pretrial hearing, all of the evidence that was found in Larry's car had to be excluded because of the way that the police officer found all of it. He didn't have any sort of a warrant. He uh, just looked in his car and that's what he found. Fuck. Yeah. However, Eiler made a huge mistake and in August of 1984, he killed a young 15-year-old boy named Daniel Bridges. Daniel Bridges was one of 15 siblings and he lived in the same neighborhood as Larry. So, like I said, you know they're getting sloppy when they're killing people around in them. In their own place, yeah. And, and that's also like their bundies. families knew each other. Oh, crap. Bridges accepted a ride from Larry and was never heard from his family again. He was tied to a chair and was beat and raped until Larry killed him, and his body was dismembered. He stuffed it in a dumpster in Rogers Park, which is a neighborhood just (gasps) a little bit north of Valley. Yeah. Oh, my God. You forget that part? Uh, Yeah, and it gave me the chills again. Yeah. So Larry had been spotted, actually, by people living in the neighborhood dumping eight garbage bags, which were Daniel's remains. Eiler was charged uh, in October of 1986, and he was sentenced to death by lethal injection, and he was sentenced in Illinois. Ooh, so he was killed at Stateville. Well... While waiting for his execution, uh, Larry actually appealed his case with the help of none other than Kathleen Zellner. As we know, Kathleen Zellner now is really infamous for getting people... Yeah, Stephen Avery, Ryan She's working with Stephen Avery right now. She worked with Ryan Ferguson, who we did an episode about. She's all about wrongful convictions. Mm -hmm. However... At this time... We're all totally positive that this guy did it. Mm -hmm. However... um, he this what he was trying to do basically was give information to get him off death the death penalty. Mm-hmm. He wasn't trying to like get out of jail. He was just trying to get life in prison instead. So the appeal stated that one of Larry's trial lawyers, David Shipper, had a conflict of interest, had a conflict of interest and had received almost $17,000 from a prosecution witness. This prosecution witness's name was Robert David Little. 
Larry claimed that Robert Robert David Little had not only been there during many of the kills, but it also aided him in killing many of the young boys as well. He also claimed that he would take photos and was just really into all of it. Apparently, uh, Robert David Little was the chairman of the Department of the Library Science at Indiana State University. Based on his confession, Eiler received a 60-year prison sentence, and uh, Little was arrested on murder charges. The case went to trial at Terry Hout, and in the absence of physical oh, evidence, Terra Hot. But in the absence of physical evidence to support Eiler's statement, Little was acquitted of all charges. On April 17th, 1991, back in Illinois, Eiler offered to clear up 20 murders in exchange for com- commu- uh, communication. A commuted sentence. Yeah, of his sentence to life imprisonment. But uh, state authorities refused this. Mm-hmm. So because he didn't get tried, he got put back on death row. Okay. However, Larry died March 6th of 1994, not by lethal injection, but from complications from AIDS. Oh. He had contracted AIDS during his many kills. Zellner, after Larry's death, released the list of the 20 victims that Larry had told her about um, after he was dead. So she, once he was dead, she was allowed to talk about it. Yes. And so we know that he did it because he literally confessed to her. Yeah. And so I found this, um, like you were saying, she were, and she, she told the families after she finally could, um, because she was trying to get the conviction reversed, um, for attorney misconduct. Mm -hmm. Um, so she revealed all the gruesome details to the victims saying that I just want them to know because he did tell me this and I hope you, that this can bring you some peace of mind. Um, she said that it was really, really hard for her to keep the secret a whole, like this whole time. And she said she had these victims, families pleading with her to tell them what happened after Eiler, she vowed only to defend the innocent. Oh my god, that's crazy that this is the case. This is. This is literally the case that made her decide to only help innocent people. And we didn't know that the first time we that's did crazy. This, I just recorded got this full podcast. body goosebumps. Yeah, I just, I'm very chilly. Maybe it's because it's like negative 12 out, but damn. No, yeah, because la- the last time we... Probably because she had to hear all the fucked exactly. up shit he did. And be- that's so crazy because the first time we recorded this podcast, we were saying, we were thinking, we were just like... We're like, Kathy, you're our girl. Like, what are you doing, girl? What are you doing, girl? But and then we're like, figure it out. And then we were like, hey, maybe this is the one that did it, and this is the one that did it because she had this weight on her and was like, I can't do that again. Yeah. So wow. Well, because talking to actual murderers is probably fucking awful. Well, yeah, and he confessed to how how many more? Yeah, he confessed all of the gruesome details. Yeah. Every single thing to her, and she and he was kind of like Gacy, anything. where he didn't remember people's names. Yeah, and he confessed all of it this to her after he had secured her as his attorney. So yeah. she had her hands tied. Yeah, she couldn't back out of it. She couldn't tell anybody because of attorney pride. Yeah, uh, exactly. Ugh. She had to keep it a secret until he died. Yeah, and that ugh. is no longer a thing because he's dead. Yeah, because yeah. he died of AIDS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. So that's Indiana Killers. Yeah, was I was that, looking, y'all. I was looking at the map, like, to see, like, and all of our guys kind of killed in the same, like, I mean, Illinois is and a kind long of all state. in the 80s and 90s, Exactly. Right? All yeah. the same. I mean, Fuck. that's when, like, serial killers were, like, the thing. 
Because people can't really be serial killers anymore because everyone is recording everything now. So it's kind of hard to get away with anything. Well, and his forensic analysis stuff is so crazy compared to what it was then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like when, like back, just finding bone fragments, police would be like, ugh. But now they're like, okay, we we, We can work with this. We can work with this. We can work with this, which is great. And which is why more cold cases need to be opened up. Yeah, that was what crazy about the last story, how they opened a bunch of cold cases in Florida and found some some things. Yeah, thank yeah. God they did. So that has been our episode of The Sisters Grimm. You can find yes. us on podcast. Yes, go on. <laughs> you can find us on podcast. We po- we, we podcast. Uh, do we? Is that what this is? I don't know. Is this a podcast? Um, I thought we were just making cookies. Oh, I thought we were baking chocolate chippies the whole time. So yeah, no, we on Facebook we are facebook.com slash the Sisters Grim Podcast. On Instagram we are at the Sisters Grim Podcast. On Twitter we are Sisters Grim Pod and we have a website that's just the Sisters Grim Podcast. Yes, we Please do. Please rate and subscribe. We love it if y'all did that. We would love it. Oh, you would love it so much. We would absolutely much. love that. We would love it so much, you guys. You guys. You guys. <laughs> please. All right, please. y'all. That's it from us.org. Bye. Hey.